I'm Olympic and world champion diver, Laura Wilkinson, and this is the Pursuit of Gold podcast. Each week, we are unlocking the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual tools that help athletes reach their biggest goals in sports. Today's guest is an athlete that I've been following for a very long time. I'm constantly inspired and challenged by her, and I'm so thrilled she joined us on the Pursuit of Gold. Amy Purdy is a three-time snowboarding Paralympic medalist, a runner-up on Dancing with the Stars, a New York Times best-selling author, an inspiring speaker who toured with Oprah, and she's the host of the Bouncing Forward podcast. It all started because she nearly lost her life at just 19 years old. When she entered the hospital, she was given less than a 2% chance of survival. She was put on life support and placed into a coma. She lost both of her legs, one of her kidneys, and her hearing in one ear. Amy opens up with us about this scary time in her life, sharing some vulnerable moments that she doesn't often speak about. But she also shares with us what got her through that time and what continues to push and motivate her even today. She shares her journey into becoming a professional snowboarder, her Paralympic experiences, the insanity of how she started on Dancing with the Stars, and how her life took another dramatic turn over the past two years. I'm thoroughly convinced there's nothing that Amy Purdy can't do. And after listening to her story today, you'll feel like you can take on the world as well. Before we get into this inspiring episode, though, I want to tell you a little bit about my new book, Life at 10 Meters, Lessons from an Olympic Champion. It's not an autobiography, but rather some important lessons that I've learned from my days in diving. It's a quick read, but packed with powerful messages that are relatable in both sports and life. Adults, tweens, and teens can all benefit from this read. I would even encourage parents to read it with your kids as it'll provide great discussions on how you can face and overcome the challenges in your life. Here's a five-star review from Jennifer called Own Your Journey. Really enjoyed learning more about Laura's amazing journey. So often we only see athletes like Laura standing on the podium, receiving their gold medal, and hearing the national anthem. What we don't see is all the challenges, obstacles, roadblocks, setbacks, and injuries they faced along their journey. Life at 10 Meters pulls back the curtain to share Laura's inspiring story. Lots of great takeaways from this quick yet powerful read to help you in sports and life. Thank you so much for that review, Jennifer. So go grab your copy of Life at 10 Meters on Amazon. You can order it in paperback or ebook. Just search Life at 10 Meters on Amazon, or you can also click the direct link in the show notes here. If you've been enjoying the Pursuit of Gold podcast, be sure to hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening and give us a five-star rating and review. And if you're loving the show, make sure you're sharing your favorite episodes with your friends. All right. I believe that there's gold in your future. So let's dive on into this episode with Amy Purdy. All right. Well, I'm geeking out just a little bit today because we have one of the most inspiring people that I have been following on social media for quite some time. Amy Purdy, welcome to the Pursuit of Gold podcast. I'm so glad you're finally here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm excited to be here and you think I'm inspiring, but I am just as inspired by you. Ah, you're so sweet. Well, okay. I love hearing kind of the beginning of every athlete's journey and like how they got their start into sports and snowboarding, like for you. So kind of take us through the beginning and how did you start? Cause every expert has to start somewhere. So I was not raised an athlete. So I think a lot of people assume that if you're an Olympic athlete or a Paralympic athlete, you were just kind of born that way, right? You've always been an athlete. But for me, I mean, I really wasn't raised with any kind of sports. I 
was raised in Las Vegas. My family loved the outdoors. I was an artist. I painted. I mean, sport was really not, you know, we would watch the Olympics, but I never pictured myself being an Olympic athlete of any type. But I started snowboarding when I was 15 years old. My family loves uh, skiing and we had a condo up in the mountains. And so we'd go up there and we would ski every winter and I was horrible at it. (laughs) I remember like my last skiing experience, I was under the chairlift, like crying, frozen tears down my face (laughs) and my, you know, I crossed my tips and my dad was yelling at me to get up. And I was like, this is so not for me. And then this snowboarder flew right past me. Like the wind was in her hair and I was like, oh my gosh, that looks so fun. So I want to try to snowboard. And I remember my dad saying, there's no way you're going to learn to snowboard until you learn to ski. And I was like, I'm going to show you. So I ended up um, maybe like a few weeks later going snowboarding with a couple of friends from high school who snowboarded as well. And absolutely fell in love with it picked it up right away. I'm going to be honest that like having a crush on a couple of the boys to I went <laughs> with totally, <laughs> totally motivated me because they didn't really teach me how to snowboard. When we were sitting on the chairlift, they just said, just follow us. And so when I got off, I strapped in and there it was a powder day. And so I could see their tracks. And so I just stayed in their tracks. And basically, I mean, by the end of that run, I was carving and I was, I was motivated because I'm like, like, you know, I got to keep up with these boys. And I absolutely fell in love with it. So really that my motivation for <laughs> sport the beginning of my Paralympic career really came from, you know, chasing these boys down the mountain. But then I just fell in love with it. I loved snowboarding. So people don't realize there's ski resorts outside of Las Vegas. So after I would finish school at one o'clock, I'd jump in the car, I'd drive up to the mountains, which was about 45 minutes away. And I'd snowboard for a couple hours each day with my friends. And at that time, it wasn't, I really didn't even look at it like a sport. It was more of a lifestyle. It was just something we did. And I knew that it just lit me up. Like the snowboarding would be something that I would do for the rest of my life. And it really wasn't until I lost my legs at the age of 19 that I then had this dream to become a Paralympic athlete. It's kind of interesting how that happens that like, I lost my legs, but then I got even more motivated and inspired to push myself and see what the possibilities were. That is so fascinating. And I feel like I've, I've talked to several Paralympians and it's not an unusual similarity, I guess. Like that, that seems to be a common theme, which is really fascinating. But let's back up and, and walk us through how your life changed at 19. So I became a massage therapist the day after I graduated high school. I moved to Salt Lake City. And the reason I did that was I just wanted to have this job that would travel with me. I wanted to travel the world. I wanted to live in different ski resorts and snowboard, but I didn't, I I wanted to be able to pay for this like ski bum lifestyle. And so I became a massage therapist and I fell in love with that as well. And just, I was like, this is it. You know, I figured it out. I massage, I snowboard. I love, you know, I I, I love where my life is going or I thought I knew where my life was going. And suddenly one day I went to work. So I was working for a world-class spa 
I actually had moved back to Las Vegas for a couple months. My plan was to work, save money, and then travel the world and snowboard. And so I was working for this world-class spa. And normally I would go to work and I'd have maybe five massages and I would have enough energy to go to the gym afterwards. But this day was different. I, I remember after my third massage, I was just exhausted and my back was a little bit achy. My neck was achy. I just felt really, really fatigued. And at first I, I kind of blamed it on the guy who I was massaging because, you know, sometimes people can give you energy. Sometimes people can just suck the life out of oh, you. Yeah. And I was like, geez, like, what is this guy going through? Because he is draining me. But over the next hour, I started to realize, well, maybe, maybe I don't really feel good. Like maybe I actually have a flu or a cold or something. So I went home from work early. That night, I had a temperature of 101. That's typical flu-like symptoms. The next morning, my temperature broke. And I thought that I was getting better. But at one point, I remember falling asleep and sleeping so hard that I couldn't wake up. I couldn't open my eyes. Like I was forcing myself awake. And I heard this voice say, Amy, get up and look in the mirror. And this voice was so startling that I opened my eyes and I looked around, I didn't see anybody there, but as I was sitting up, I realized that something was really wrong. I was so weak. I was so shaky. I was nauseous. It probably took, you know, three to five minutes to get into a seated position. And I put my feet on the floor and I stood up and I realized that I couldn't feel my feet. And when I looked at the floor, I saw that my feet were purple. And when I looked at my hands, I saw that my hands were purple. And when I looked at my reflection in the mirror, I saw that my nose, my chin, and my cheeks were purple as well. And I knew in that moment that I was dying. You know, I thought I had the flu, but now I knew that I was dying. And right then my cousin walked in to come check on me and she rushed me to the emergency room. I ended up being put on life support right away. I was given less than a 2% chance of living. Every organ in my body was hemorrhaging. My blood pressure was crashed and my heart rate was through the roof. I was in septic shock. They had no idea what it was. And it wasn't until five days later that we found out that I had um, contracted something called meningococcal meningitis. We have no idea how I got it. So it's a bacteria that spread like the flu or the cold. So, you know, somebody could have sneezed on me in the elevator at work and maybe that's how I got it. But because of this little microscopic bacteria, over the course of two and a half months, I ended up losing my spleen. I lost my kidney function. I lost the hearing in my left ear. And then I also, due to the septic shock, lost both of my legs below the knees. So I fought for my life and my life changed forever it, overnight. I, you know, I walked into the hospital and then I was wheeled out without my legs, without my kidneys. And I went through a couple years of having to figure out who I was again, how I fit in the world again, how I wanted to step into the world again. But the one thing that stayed consistent was my love for snowboarding. And when I was in the hospital, I just kept asking the doctors like, okay, so I'll get my legs and then I'll snowboard. And they're like, well, I don't know, like, let's just get you walking or let's get you healthy. Let's get you out of the hospital first. But when you go through, when I go through my medical records, which are like, you know, like five inches thick. Every single doctor note in there says, patient is asking when she can snowboard again. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and so for me, I just, in the hospital, I just kept thinking, 
That's all I can think about. I'm not worried about walking again. I just want to be able to snowboard again. That's what my friends did. That's where I found myself. You know, and at that time I had zero dreams of becoming a professional snowboarder. It was just a passion that I loved. So yeah, so snowboarding really was my passion. That's what pulled me through my darkest days. And then you know, who would have thought that it would be, it would become almost my purpose, right? I'd be able to help other people snowboard down the road. And then it took me on this incredible Paralympic journey. I mean, what was that like just backing up? Because I mean, that's such an incredible story. And, and I, we could probably spend days on like every little topic from your life, but like, how did you process? I mean, you, you go in there, your body is shutting down so fast. And like you said, you, you went in as one, one person and you came out as a completely different person. Like, what was that time in the hospital like? I mean, did you think you were going to pull through? Or did it? I, I mean, were you even kind of aware because you were in a coma for a little bit as well, right? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting thing when you're really fighting for your life like that. When you're in the moment of it, you know, it's it's like on literally on the edge of death. So I was put into an induced coma, and I remember when that was happening because it was the second day I was in the hospital and. I was already getting put on life support and my lungs were collapsing and I couldn't breathe. I was gasping for air. I had tears just rolling down my face as I was trying to breathe. And that's when the doctors were giving my dad and mom paperwork to sign to put me into this induced coma. So I was very aware of, of what was going on and I'd be put on a respirator and everything. Um, at the same time, it, it was very surreal. There's almost a detachment, I think, that happens emotionally when you're fighting for survival because I had all of my family around me. They brought in pastors from different churches who were praying for me and, you know, had their hands on my forehead. And, you know, everybody was told to come in to say goodbye. And I remember laying there internally, even though I'm gasping for air, internally almost laughing. Like I remember thinking, these people really think I'm going to die. Like, this is so weird. It was so, it was like a whole different dialogue happening internally than what was happening to my body. So that, it was so interesting to me because you would think you'd be terrified. And I was when I was gasping for air, but then there was also this thing that was like, wait, everybody thinks I'm dying? Hold on, you know, maybe it just took a while for my brain to like catch up to what was really happening. But I ended up going into this induced coma. It was very, very intense. Um, I was in the coma for about two weeks altogether. I was fully out for about a week. And then, I, and then I was kind of in and out of it for a week after that. And I remember moments of being in that coma as well. I remember just little things. I, I was so unstable. My blood pressure, my heart rate, everything was so unstable that if I even lifted a finger, I'd hear all the machines in the room go off because my blood pressure would crash and my heart rate would go up. So it was, my parents described it like a movie. It was like literally second by second thinking I'd like live or die. And it was like that for them for a week. Everybody was just sitting on the edges of their seats, you know, surrounding me, just holding their breath. And yeah, I mean, there's multiple times that it was like, that's it. My, in fact, the doctor's we're standing outside the room debating who was going to tell my parents that it was time to pull the plug because I'd been on the respirator long enough. I was, everything was just so out of whack. They didn't think I would pull through it without being brain dead or, or fully paralyzed, which can happen with um, meningitis. So I was aware of all of that while I was in a coma. I was kind of like in and out of it a little bit. Um, but 
I actually, I mean, I don't really talk about this very much. I actually had a near-death experience where I did die. I did flatline. My spleen burst and I was rushed into this CAT scan and they saw that my spleen was like three times its normal size and they rushed me into emergency was, surgery and my heart said during the coma? It was. And I remember being in that surgery. So here I was in a coma, full life support, you know, as knocked out as you can be. When you're in surgery, you have tape over your eyes, you know, all of that. And yet I remember seeing the doctors, hearing the doctors, uh, having uh, like this mental conversation with one of the doctors who was telling me to hang on. And yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really talk about it a whole lot, but I, I, I went into this um, space, my heart stopped and I went into this space and I knew that I had died and I knew that I had a choice. I was given a choice if I wanted to stay or if I wanted to go. And I got really, really mad. And I was like, I haven't lived my life yet. I haven't fallen in love with yet. I haven't traveled the world yet. You know, I haven't even figured out the things that I want to do in my life yet. I'm not going anywhere. And when I woke up from the coma a few days later, I, I still had this respirator down my throat. And so I couldn't talk, but I wrote out on a piece of paper that I was given a, cho a choice and I chose to stay. The reason I share that is because that is what made me never feel like a victim, even though I would go on to lose my legs and lose my kidneys and lost my spleen and the hearing in my left ear and like my whole body and life would be different. I always go back to that moment because it shaped who I am. It gave me, first of all, kind of a faith that there is something and there's a reason why this happened and to just you know, accept it and embrace it, but just to, to know that there's something else there and there's a bigger reason to this journey. And then it also, I'm not a victim because I chose to be here, right? I, I didn't just wake up this way, which I do think would be harder. I chose to stay here. And so when times get tough, I always go back and think, well, I chose to be here. I could have taken the easy way out and I didn't. And so it was a few weeks later that I had both my legs amputated below the knee. We fought to save my legs. And I mean, it, it was so surreal. I was very emotionally unattached because I was still fighting for my life. I think I still, I think I had about a 15% chance of survival at the time that I was losing my legs because my kidneys were in failure. My adrenal glands were in failure. My liver was out of whack. Everything was still not right. And yet now I had to lose both my legs. And so something just happens when you're fighting to stay alive. It's like, I wasn't sad. I was just hanging on and also incredibly grateful, like to have the opportunity to hang on and fight. And so gratitude became a big part of uh, not just a practice, but, but to be honest, like a very natural organic thing for me, because Every day I woke up and I was alive, I was grateful, whether I had lost my legs or not. And so that has just been something that I've been able to carry with me from the very beginning, just being so grateful to have survived something that many people wouldn't survive and don't survive. And in fact, to be able to survive in the condition that I did, like, yes, I lost my legs, I lost my kidneys, I lost the hearing in my left ear, I have scars from head to toe, but it, it could have been so much worse. Not only could I have died, but I almost lost my hands. You know, when they talk about like 
brain damage or paralysis or, you know, people who would lose their arms and their legs from uh, meningitis, I, I always felt like I pulled out really, really good. So that gratitude and that just appreciation for my body, for it fighting for me when I wasn't even aware and able to fight for it, like it was fighting for me. I came out of that coma with so much appreciation for my life and for my body and didn't want to let myself down by, I guess, feeling bad about myself. I thought I'm, I'm doing an injustice if I hate my body because I've got all these scars, right? When my body has fought so much for me. So I kind of naturally gravitated towards appreciation and gratitude. And I think that's what's gotten me through all the darkest days that I've faced. Oh, and even, I mean, now as you've been facing a lot in the last couple of years, I mean, that comes through so much in your social media posts and everything that you say, like all of what you're saying right now resonates. So it is very obvious that this is, is still carrying you through. And, and I love that because it's, I read your stuff and it's so encouraging to me on like a daily basis when I, when I read your posts, but I would love to jump back to as you get out of this and thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing all of that. Cause that is just going to impact people in such huge ways. And I'm sure you know that um, now, but we just are really grateful for you to, to being so open and honest with all of that. And so what did that look like as you're out of the hospital, you don't have your legs, but you're like, okay, I'm going to get some legs and I'm going to snowboard. <laughs> like, What was that next kind of step like? <laughs> That basically was it. That was, you know, I wasn't thinking, how am I going to walk? And is it going to hurt? I was just like, I got to get legs so I can snowboard. <laughs> Actually, when I was in the hospital, I had this moment. It was a few days after I lost my legs. And I remember it was nighttime. I was in my room by myself. I just had the flicker of the TV and I could see, I was looking down at my legs, which were under the sheet. And I could see where my feet would be right where my feet used to be. And my first thought was I felt very short because <laughs> I was like, wait, I'm so little now. And then I thought, okay, how am I going to snowboard like this? And I wonder if it's possible. And I started daydreaming about it. I saw myself snowboarding down this mountain of powder and I visualized it so strongly in that moment that I could feel it. Like I could feel the wind against my face. I could feel my muscles twitching. I could feel my heart racing. It was like I got so carried away in this vision of snowboarding again. And I saw myself at the bottom of this run, pull up my pant leg and have two prosthetic legs. And I felt it so strongly that I didn't know how I was going to do this, but I knew that I would. And so I went on this mission to try to figure out how to snowboard again. And I, I actually gave myself the goal that the day that I lost my legs, the day that they brought me into surgery, I gave myself the goal that I would snowboard that season because I hadn't missed a season of snowboarding and I wasn't about to. So Wait, how, how far away was the season? So this was, I lost my legs in August. And so I had, you know, a couple months to prepare, I guess. And it's this, like no time. <laughs> I know. And the season goes to, and you know, outside of Vegas, probably beginning of April. So, you know, I had nothing. It's kind of nice when you're ignorant because I had nothing to go off of. Like I didn't have like a time frame. I had no idea how long it would take to make a leg or walk in a leg or any of that. I just knew 
that I wasn't going to miss this season of snowboarding. And I'm so happy that I gave myself that goal because that's what really pulled me forward. And I didn't have time to be sad or have time to look back. I, I, I had to figure this out. And so I started walking. I walked pretty fast. It was very, very uncomfortable. My sister got married. She put her wedding on hold. And then once they knew I was going to survive, they decided to keep the wedding date. And so she got married in October. I lost my legs August 21st, I think. And so I think it was like October 11th, I walked in her wedding. And I thought, well, if I can do that, if I can walk down this aisle and stand here and have a smile on my face, and I can't say it was comfortable, but if I could do that, then I think I can stand on a snowboard. So I ended up getting up on a snowboard again about probably four months after that. So I think it was in March. And it went completely different than I expected. It was very uncomfortable to walk in my snowboard boots, to walk on the snow. I was slipping, I was falling. I was like, this is very awkward. It wasn't until I was on the chairlift that I actually got worried, where it really hit me. What if I can't do this? This whole time I've been like, I can do this. I can figure this out. This was the first moment that I was like, what if this is actually the moment that shows that I can't do this. So I got off the chairlift. I actually kind of stood and I, I remember I didn't fall. And I was like, okay, that's a good start. I strapped into my snowboard. I rode over carefully on my heel edge and that was okay. I was like, that's okay. Things are fine. But then I went to ride over to my toe edge and you actually need quite a bit of ankle motion for snowboarding. So I went to ride over to my toe edge and I realized my ankles wouldn't bend and I picked up speed. I shot straight down the mountain. I hit this bump and I fell and my uh, goggles went one way. My beanie went the other way and my legs still attached to my snowboard went flying down the mountain. Like oh I my twisted completely. <laughs> Twisted completely out of my legs and was like, I was on top of the mountain and I was so in shock. Same with everybody with me, like, okay, you know, these detachable body parts, (laughs) I'm detached. And um, I was very discouraged. My sister had to walk down, pick my legs up with my snowboard and like hike it back up to me. And I remember, you know, just thinking like being so discouraged and thinking this is impossible. This is why you never see somebody with two prosthetic legs snowboard because clearly it's not possible. But then I thought, well, if I can figure out a way to keep these legs attached, if I can figure out a way to get my ankles to move in the way that I want them to, then maybe I can do this. And so you know, that's when I decided I could either let this challenge stop me or I could get creative and find a way. And that's what I did. And so I ended up going to my prosthetic shop. Well, first of all, I called every adaptive ski school across the country, asked if they had ever worked with anybody with two prosthetics and snowboarded. They all said, you should take your legs off, sit in a mono ski. And I, I had two problems with that. One, I wasn't a skier and number two, I wanted to use my legs. And I thought, well, maybe maybe it just hasn't been done yet, or maybe just somebody hasn't been passionate enough to figure it out. 
So I ended up going to my prosthetic shop and working with my prosthetist. I knew exactly what motion I needed. And so we just started ordering different feet and different ankles and playing around. And we ended up coming up with this foot that was like a Frankenstein foot. It was a foot from one brand and an ankle from another brand. And then we turned the ankle backwards and it gave me the motion I needed. And we added wood to the heel, which would allow me to get on my toes. And we duct taped it there. And I took those feet up to snowboard again and they worked. Wow. Yeah. And that it's it's amazing because I look back at that. I'm like, that was the beginning of my Olympic career. You know, like you wouldn't think that that kind of moment, that's something that can crush you where you go. It's impossible. Or it can be a moment where you get creative and find a way. So I'm so grateful I did because that then launched the whole, my career and also the whole rest of my life. Well, and so, I mean, and I love that. I love that you were just like, well, I know what I need. Let's figure out how to do it. But that's, that's not cheap either. Like I've heard prosthetics are way expensive. Like how did you manage to financially come up with this solution? Yeah. So in an interesting way, I was lucky that I was in kidney failure because I entered the hospital initially in kidney failure, I actually didn't have health insurance when I entered the hospital. My parents dropped me from their health insurance a month before I got sick. Oh my! And God. I was waiting to go onto my work's health insurance. I was like right in this window. And because I entered the hospital in kidney failure, Medicare and Medicaid kicked in and Medicare covers 80% and Medicaid covered the other 20%. And because I worked for, for cash as well, I was able to have this full coverage with Medicare and Medicaid. And so I was very lucky because my hospital bills were incredibly expensive and then prosthetics, the rest of my life, I would need prosthetics. And they are, I mean, if, if I were to pay cash for both legs it can be up to $30,000. And that's just to walk, right? That's not snowboard or run. And you need different feet for the different things that you do. Luckily, my insurance did cover enough that I was able to, you know, we would order these feet and these things in, but if they didn't work, we were able to ship them back. So you can have a bit of a trial. I wasn't able to like snowboard on them, like actually take them out of the prosthetic shop, but I'd stand on them in the prosthetic shop. And just, I knew right away just by standing in these feet, if they would work for me or not. And so we were able to like test a bunch of stuff without having to pay for it and just kind of ship it back. And then once we found the foot and the ankle, what's really interesting, they're very, very basic. These are not high tech. Like they, there weren't shocks and springs. In fact, I realized shocks and springs didn't work for me. I wanted the most basic dead feet so that I could control them instead of them controlling me. So luckily I ended up picking kind of the cheapest feet on the market that actually ended up working for me in the way that we pieced them together. And so that worked, but, you know, then just over time, as I progressed, I was able to start getting sponsorships. In fact, one of my biggest motivations of becoming an athlete, actually taking it seriously was this is how I can get feet and work with brands and then become the best athlete I can be. And it all works together. Otherwise, if I just want to snowboard for fun, I'm going to be paying a lot of 
money just to get legs to fit right and work right. So there was a little bit of a motivator to the fact that this is very expensive. And if I want to really pursue this, then there's a very good symbiotic relationship between what I know I'm capable of and and what brands were willing to support me in. And so I really, I started knocking down the doors of like prosthetic companies. And I remember at one point saying, I don't know if I can do this, but if anybody can, it's going to be me. And that brand picking me up. And then we started developing feet through them that I could snowboard in. And yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I just, I was determined, I was really determined to just do the stuff that I loved. Snowboarding was a huge part of that. And wouldn't take no for an answer, literally knocked down every door and I mean, that really led me to where I'm at today. Well, and how did that develop into, because that was that around the time that like you and your husband co-founded the Adaptive Action Sports? Like, how did that develop from this? We met a couple of years later. Um, so I lost my legs in 99 and we founded Adaptive Action Sports in 2005. We met in 2002 and I had just had my kidney transplant. So I had a kidney transplant. My, my dad donated a kidney to me a week before my 21st birthday. So I felt great too. I was like that. I felt healthy and strong and just ready to, you know, step back into the world. I went up to Crested Butte, Colorado with a couple of friends to snowboard and ended up meeting my husband at a bar. <laughs> he was a snowboarder and he was so cute and we totally hit it off. He had a background in recreation and also he had worked at a couple different adaptive sports centers for and it was part of his degree. So he had a little bit of experience actually working with, you know, athletes, skiers with disabilities. Although he didn't know that I had prosthetics when we first met. It wasn't until a few days later that I pulled up my pant legs and showed him <laughs> my legs. And we had already gone snowboarding and everything. So it was kind of interesting to then find out our connection was, first of all, his mom, she has a, a huge background in doing a lot of work for different charities and organizations. She sits on all these boards. And then Daniel had this experience of working with athletes with disabilities. Um, and so it just kind of naturally came together where he he's incredibly resourceful, he wanted to help me snowboard and, you know, he'd help me with my equipment. I wanted to skateboard again. He ended up putting this really cool pole on a skateboard so we could skateboard. And we moved to San Diego and we would, you know, skateboard down the boardwalk. And then I wanted to wakeboard again. So he'd always be working with me on my feet, trying to figure out how to get up on a wakeboard. And so we realized that these sports are possible for people with prosthetic legs, but we didn't see much of it out there. I didn't really know anyone else doing this stuff. We saw a lot of the Paralympics were around and there was only skiing in the Paralympics and not snowboarding. And so we really just became passionate about sharing these sports, sharing action sports for people with disabilities and teaching them how to do it, helping them with their equipment, 
just letting people know it's an option that you don't have to ski. If you want to learn to snowboard, we can show you how to do that. And so we started the organization really to be a resource and also just to pull people together. Like who else is out there doing these sports? Those are the people we want to be around. In a way, I created what I needed. I I needed a community of people who were like me and it didn't really exist. It needed something to pull it together. And so when we started the organization, that's what happened. We kind of started attracting people from all over the world who were like, oh, I've been snowboarding for 20 years and have a prosthetic or, oh, I've been wakeboarding for 10 years and have a prosthetic. So we all just started learning from each other. We um, just decided, you know, snowboarding wasn't yet in the Paralympic Games. We knew all these amazing snowboarders with prosthetics. And we're like, it should be in the Paralympics. And so through Adaptive Action Sports, we contacted the ESPN X Games and we ended up organizing the first adaptive snowboard competition at the X Games. And these athletes, all the athletes we pulled out, we we did it invite only. So we chose the best snowboarders with uh, prosthetic legs in the world to come out, represent at the X Games. And it was a huge exhibition. It was on TV. It was incredible. We had wounded vets who were competing. And that became kind of part of the push to get snowboarding into the Paralympics. And then we put on the first world championships for adaptive snowboarding. And then I would travel to different able-bodied snowboard competitions and show up as an adaptive athlete just to represent what's possible and that we're here. And so there's many, many years of me and, and a group of other amazing adaptive snowboarders working really hard to just create awareness that adaptive snowboarding exists and it should be a professional sport. And we're riding at a level that we should be in the Paralympic Games. So our organization, a Canadian organization and a European organization, we all came together and made this big push to try to get snowboarding into the Paralympics. And we were turned down at first. And then a few months later, it turned around and we found out that we would have adaptive snowboarding or uh, para-snowboarding in the 2014 Paralympic Games for the very first time. Uh, So so that had to be like such a victory lap, just getting it into the Games. Exactly. I'm always like, you know, once the race to get it into the games was over, was then the race to make the first ever U.S. Paralympic team. Um, Then I was like, oh, wait, now I need to train as an athlete myself. You know, I was like helping the movement and helping other athletes and like really, you know, kind of running the show a little bit. And then I'm like, wait, no, I want to be, I want to represent too. So yeah, we found out in 2011 that snowboarding would be in the 2014 Paralympic Games for the first time. So that really only gave us, and we found out, I think it was the summer of 2011. So it only gave us the winter of 2012 and 2013. And then of course, part of 2014 to prepare. So we really only had about two and a half years to prepare for the Paralympics. And I knew I needed to step it up. I mean, I just became absolutely dedicated to being the best athlete I could be. I was 30 years old. So I really did not become, you know, a professional athlete or even consider myself an athlete until I was 30 years old. I mean, it was such an incredible journey. And and then and then kind of being the face of the sport led to huge brand endorsements. I was 
on Coca-Cola bottles and billboards. I was on cereal boxes. You know, I was on commercials. I, but I was also a motivational speaker. And, and so I was a mo- motivational speaker. I had done a TED talk that went viral in 2011 as well. 2011 was a very good year for me because <laughs> I, I did a talk. It went viral. That changed the course of my life forever. That launched me into this kind of international corporate speaking career. And because of that, it put me in front of a lot of brands. And so then when snowboarding became a Paralympic sport, I became kind of the go-to athlete that these brands wanted to support. And so going into the 2014 Paralympics, I think I had I had like eight brand deals, big brand deals. And that then led to being on Dancing with the Stars because they saw me on a Coca-Cola billboard. And so it's, it's amazing how just following your passion, where it can lead. I never thought that I'd be a professional athlete. I never thought that I'd make money from it. I just did it because I loved it. It just, it set my soul on fire and I wanted to help other people do the same. And it's incredible what you can do. If something doesn't exist, you can create it. If you have enough passion, you can create it. And now it's a whole, it's way bigger than than me or our organization. It's this massive global movement and there's athletes who are incredible and even much better than me that are competing. And it's just, it's, it's a whole thing of its own, a whole movement of its own. And it's just really cool to be, you know, a part of the, the beginning of it. That's what I was just going to say, like, just, just to be the beginning of this massive catalyst that has really changed para sports forever, you know, especially winter sports. I mean, it's awesome, but I, I'm thinking from just the athlete perspective on the flip side of that, as exciting and awesome as everything was and all this movement, was there a lot of pressure? Because now, like you said, you are the face, you are the go-to, everybody's looking at you. Like, did you feel like I have to do this or were you completely detached and like, nope, just loving it. I'm good. No, there was incredible pressure. I mean, pressure that made me sick, unhealthy amounts of pressure. My relationship was not good, but I wasn't good. I was just, this is the thing that was so challenging is I knew it was in me. I knew my body could do what I wanted it to do. Snowboarding is very, it looks simple. It's like, okay, heel, toe, carve. But when you've got prosthetics, your feet don't move normal. So as, as I'm progressing in the sport, my equipment has to progress as well. And so, I mean, I have something like 30,000 notes in my phone that I would take every day, every twist of a screw of my ankle would shift the angle of my foot and give me a different movement on the snow. And because I'm in a very complex sport, which border cross, you're not just, you're not just carving, you're doing jumps. So I needed to have my feet stiff enough so that when I carved, I could create a really strong edge. But when I jumped and landed, I'd have a soft cushion. So I needed to be able to flex my knees when I wanted to, flex my ankles when I needed to, but then have them stiff when I needed them as well. And to find the perfect balance, there's no foot that can do that even still. So to find the perfect balance was maddening to me. I was like a mad scientist trying to figure (laughs) out my feet because I could feel it inside of me. I think because I snowboarded with feet before, I know what it's supposed to feel like. And so in a way, that's what pushed me to, 
I, I knew what it was supposed to feel like. Right. And, and chasing that, I think it's what pushed me as far as I went, but at the same time, it drove me crazy. I was like, I dreamt about my ankles and feet and angles and physics and all this stuff nonstop. And so that was frustrating. And then also suddenly, yeah, I'm the face of the sport and I'm like, I'm on a cereal box and I just didn't feel good enough. You know, I felt like incredibly grateful that I wasn't good enough for even myself. I thought I'm showing up to the games and I want to show what the possibilities are. I don't want to show up as I am right now, because this isn't good enough for me. And so I put an incredible amount of pressure on myself to snowboard normal, even though I had prosthetics and it became very challenging. You know, I, all of a sudden I'd show up to like our competitions and instead of them just being like, oh, fun, whatever, how it used to be, it's now like, I have to win. I have to do good. I have to prove that I'm worthy of the attention I'm getting. And I also want to show up to the games. This is going to be on TV. I want to be able to not suck, <laughs> you know? Right. And so it, it was an incredible amount of pressure. And that's where it, you know, it affected my relationship because I was just so hyper-focused. I was like, I cannot deal with us. I have got to deal with this. Like, this is my everything. I just need to get through the games. I need to know that I... I'm showing up my, my best. And so I can't say I showed up my best mentally, but I will say when I was standing in the start gates for the very first time, I was so emotional because I just had this flashback of my whole life, losing my legs, loving and learning snowboarding again, just every part of the journey that led me there. Like, this is it, this is happening. And I had this big sense of relief. It was like, instead of having this tension as I pulled out of the start gates, I actually kind of sank into it and was able to kind of free myself a bit and, and was like, okay, well, this is, this is everything I've worked towards. Now it's happening. Now I can kind of let loose. Like now I can trust that it's in there. And so I was the only double leg amputee competitive snowboarder at the time. I was competing against women. They, they, our classes weren't big enough to separate us. So they put us all together. So I was competing against women who had one prosthetic or who had both of their legs. There was one athlete who had both of her legs and she could move her ankles and knees like anybody else. And so, yeah, I was, I was the only double leg amputee and I, I came in third place. I won a bronze medal and that day I did enjoy, I enjoyed every minute of that day because I, I kind of, I released myself to just be in the moment and trust that I've put the work in and that I do deserve to be there. And so I, I enjoyed every minute of it and was incredibly grateful to bring home a bronze medal, like to really have something to show for the work that I had put in. I love that you were able to release it at the start gates and like really just be yourself on that hill. Like that's just so cool. Um, but what was different going into the 2018 games? Like, did you, did you handle things differently because of that extreme pressure that you had or like, yeah, where was your mindset going into 2018? I love that you asked that. I handled it completely differently. So I stepped away from the U S team after 
the Sochi Games because it overlapped with the with Dancing with the Stars, and all of a sudden it was actually Dancing oh yeah. With but the Stars. by the way, I uh, you were doing Dancing with the Stars prep while you were in Sochi, right? Like what, how <laughs> how do you do that? You know, and that added to the pressure too because I was like, oh my gosh, like crazy big things are happening, you know, and I want to be able to like show that I deserve to be here and all those things. So, um, but yeah, I was asked to do dance with the stars a couple weeks before going to Sochi and it overlapped at the first dancing with the stars live show was just 72 hours after my race in Sochi. Why did you agree to that? (laughs) I know I almost didn't. I was like, it's impossible. There's no way I kept telling my manager. There's no, there's no way I don't like, I'm not, not going to do the Paralympics and there's no way, you know, there's not even time to practice for dancing with the stars. The other stars on the show had a month, like seven hours a day, seven days a week for a month straight to prepare for the first dance. I had three half days. I had three half days and they were all while I was training in Sochi for the games. So, and it's funny because I kept telling my manager, I'm like, this is impossible and I'm going to be horrible and I don't even know how to dance. And like, I don't even have time to practice. And I just remember he was like, Amy, even if you just make it through the first episode, just make it through the first episode. And I was like, I'm going to get eliminated. You know I mean? I just, I did not have a huge, uh, huge hopes or high hopes for myself, but Derek Huff, my partner, flew out to Sochi. And so I would snowboard for four hours in the morning. I would take two gondolas down. I would jump in a cab, go to the town over. And Derek and I would dance for four hours in a little mirror where we couldn't even see our feet. And like, I can't feel my feet. So I don't even know what they're doing. But, you know, we're just like, busting through this dance at like as quickly as possible. So when I was sitting on the chairlift, I'd be listening to my Dancing with the Stars music, memorizing my moves. And then when I would get on the snow, I would have to shut that off and actually train for snowboarding. And I had three half days with him and that was it. Then I competed in my snowboard race and then I literally stepped off the podium, went straight to the airport, traveled 24 hours and went straight in totally jet lagged. Like they didn't even have time to like spray tan me. You know, they do this stuff where you have like, (laughs) you have like your photo shoots ahead of time. You do spray tans, you like have all this time to prepare. But for me, I literally was stepping off the airplane from Sochi. So they were like rubbing bronzer on me and sparkles and throwing on an outfit I had never even tried on before and just like pushing me out on stage. That was literally my first episode was just the most surreal. Was that more terrifying than competing at the Paralympics? (laughs) You know, I mean, it was just as hard. It was, I will say yes, because at least I was prepared for the Paralympics, right? Right, right. This, I was like, I have no choice but to just pull it together and make it up. And so when when I go back and look at that first episode, when I watch it, I can feel the adrenaline. Like the adrenaline is what got me through. I was so jet lagged. I had no idea what my feet were doing. I couldn't feel my feet on the dance floor because they were so slippery. I was suddenly in high heels. I mean, (laughs) it was like a full adrenaline rush. And I think I blacked out, you know, by the end of it, I was like, what just happened? And then 
it started over the next day. Like I, I remember telling Derek that night, like, oh God, like I messed up here and I messed up there. And he's like, it doesn't matter because that dance is over and we start another one tomorrow. And it was kind of a cool practice to let go. You know, it, as an athlete, sometimes we want to hang on to our performance or what we did wrong. We want to learn, right? So we want to, we're like, oh, I did this wrong. I did that wrong. With Dancing with the Stars, you don't have time for that. It's like, okay, you're aware of what you did wrong and what you can do better, but you're starting totally fresh the next day with a completely new dance and new movements. So you literally have to like lock it up and, you know, throw the key out and go, I'm not thinking about that anymore. I'm moving on to the next thing. It taught me a lot. It taught me, first of all, just how capable we all really are because Dancing with the Stars was like doing the Paralympics every single week and only having a week to prepare. You want to be your best. The world is watching. You've got one shot. This dance is going to end up on YouTube forever. So you don't want to mess up. <laughs> and so the pressure, plus you're being judged. The pressure was huge on Dance with the Stars, but I feel like the Paralympics prepared me for it. That's cool. So did this now in turn help you prepare for the next Paralympics? It did. And also an experience that I had, one of the last dances I did on the show. So we ended up making it to the end. We came in second place. And towards the end of the show, (laughs) towards the end of the show, I finally kind of sink in as well and thought, I don't want to black out with every dance and have it be this crazy adrenaline rush and go, oh my God, I had no idea what happened. I want to experience it. I want to be totally in the moment. I wanted to be in a flow state like I felt when I snowboard. You know, when I snowboard, it's like, and I'm sure when you swim, like you just, you, you click into this flow state where your body is just doing the motions. You're not trying, trying, trying. And you're, and sometimes time slows down and it's like, you're just sunk into the pocket and it feels so good. And I'm like, that's what I want to feel at Dancing with the Stars. And so I started to kind of practice just these different techniques that I did with snowboarding with dancing so that I could fully just embrace the moment and be very, very present because I didn't want the whole show to end and not remember any of it. And I was able to do that week eight, I remember was the most just present I've ever been. It was the first time we got tens across the board. I could hear everybody in the audience clapping. I was so relaxed. It just felt so good. And so when I went into the next Paralympic Games, I thought, I just want to enjoy it. I just want to enjoy it. I want to be totally present because when I'm present, or when present, when I'm present, and when I'm present and I'm in that flow state is when I I feel so connected to the universe, to my sport, to my passion, to my purpose. No stress, and I I perform at my best. And so going into the 2018 games, I wanted my husband with me every step of the way, instead of leaving him at home so that I could go do what I needed to do. I wanted him at every race, which the thing that's nice is because of our organization, my husband was also training athletes to make the U S snowboard team. So we wouldn't travel together. We would travel more like side by side. I would be at the competitions with the U S team and my husband would be there with our adaptive action sports team. So he was able to support me every step of the journey. And it was so amazing to have him there. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed my experience going into the 2018 games. And when I 
when I did my time trials in uh, Pyeongchang, I rode better than I ever have. I was so calm. I was so connected. I felt so good. I just felt like I, like this is, you know, I, I wanted to do it because I loved it and, and let's take the pressure off and I don't have to prove anything. I just want to be the best I can be. And because of that, I think it allowed me to ride the best that I ever have. Yeah. I love that. And you walked away with two medals at that games, right? I did. I did. The, the second race was, and, and look there, I'm sure you do this as an athlete too. I mean, there are things I would totally change. I was so close to bringing home gold in our border cross race. So I was so calm and just like in this flow state in my time trials. And I was beating everybody. I was number one. I was beating, I was beating competitors I've never beat before. They were kind of falling apart with the pressure of cameras and and stuff. And I was, I was riding at my best. So when I went into the final gold medal round, I thought I'm just going to do what's been working all day, which is be really calm. And really I should have turned it on. Like that was when I should have really turned it on, you know, like I just, I kept trying to stay calm, but it's like, wait, I just, I already made it to the gold medal round. Like now I could really turn it on. And I didn't. And so that kind of ate me alive that like, you know, I just didn't, I, 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 I felt like the same strategy I used all day would work in the gold medal round, but you don't know that until you look back, like, yeah. okay, that was a time to lay it all on the line. And so when you watch the video of that, I'm like super chill in the start gates when I should have been like, this is it, you know, but <laughs> who knows? I could have been like, this is it and fallen right out of the gate. Cause sometimes you right. push too hard and then you're totally out of the flow state. So I think that's what I love about competition though. It constantly forces you to get better and it constantly forces you to figure things out. I love, I love that challenge of like, why did this work, but this didn't work. And then playing around with it. And really you're just developing yourself and, and then you can use those skills outside of sport. Mm-hmm. So yeah. do you find the same, just totally. the challenge totally. of it? And yeah, like the, we're a lot like golf in the fact that like you do this thing for like a second or two, and then you have all this time to wait in between. So when you were talking earlier about dancing with the stars and how you had to let it go and it didn't matter what happened, like you just have to go to the next round. Like if we miss a dive, you can't hang on to that. You can't worry about it. Cause you still have dives left and it's a crazy sport. Anything can happen. So like, you have to keep plugging away and you can't bring that failure or whatever with you. You've got to let it go. And so I can totally relate to that, but yeah, I, I can look back at meets and just like, I look back at 2004 and I played it safe on this one dive and it kept me off the podium and it just eats me a lot. Cause it was a fun, yes. like it was fine. It just wasn't great. And it could have been right. great if I was all in and I'm like, since when am I not all in? Like I'm always all in. And that's why sometimes I land <laughs> yes. on my face or something, but it just, yeah, I was just, you know, not, yeah, I didn't push the right button at the right time. And then you're like, oh, right. you know, I can't live with that, you know? So yeah, I, that's just sports, man. That's what, but like you said, that's the great thing. And you're constantly learning and adapting and changing and growing. And so that eventually, you know, you kind of figure out what to do with yourself in those moments. Exactly. It's like, I I totally, I totally agree. So it's, and it's what keeps you interested, I think, because if you were just connected, perfect all the time, then you're like, "Ah." it'd get boring, right? Yeah. It'd be like, oh, this is like, can do this like the back of my hand, but instead you're like, you're constantly bettering yourself and trying to figure out what works best. And, 
you know, it is, it is interesting, but I agree. So that kind of eats me alive afterwards. <laughs> I was like, dang it. Like I knew I could have brought home gold, but who knows, who knows what would have happened. Like I said, if I pushed too hard, that might have not happened for me anyways. But I was also ultimately very happy with, um, the experience as a whole, because my husband was there, my whole family was there cheering me on. I was there, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't preparing for dance with the stars or stressed out about sponsors. I was fully present. And that was such a cool experience for me to truly fully be there and be present. And, um, and so it was completely different than 2014 where I, I felt like I had to perform. I had to do this this time. I thought I just want to be the best I can be. And the only way I can do that is actually to be really, really calm and stress-free and not let the pressure stop me from enjoying the experience. I love that. I, and I can totally relate to that being fully present. Those are some of my best memories in a meet, like not even knowing what the end result's going to be, but just realizing what I was doing. I was living out my dream in that moment like that. That is, that's something you take away with you forever. You know, I, I love that. Right. Well, since your successful second Paralympic Games, um, things have been a little bit different and possibly unexpected. Like catch us up with uh, the ups and downs that have been since Pyeongchang. Yes. And so you never know where life is going to go just because you've lived one story doesn't mean you're not going to live another story. And in fact, the longer we live, the more stories we're going to have. And so I came off the Paralympics 2018 on a total high, writing better than ever, thinking I would go into the next Paralympics as well, just really excited. And in 2019, so just a year later, I suddenly got this injury that completely knocked me off my feet. And it, it all started with, I was standing on stage doing a speech in Vegas. And, and I'm telling you, at this time, I was like living my dreams, like snowboarding, fit, medals, just loving life, like everything I worked towards. I was like, kind of felt like I was at my peak. And I was standing on stage doing a speech in Vegas, and I felt this cramp in my left calf. And I didn't think too much of it at first, but 24 hours later, I was in the hospital. I was in the emergency room. I was diagnosed with a massive blood clot from my hip down every artery of my left leg. So oh when you think about a blood clot, you know, at least when I thought of a blood clot, I think of something very little, right. you know, my entire leg. And I've got about 10 inches below the knee, which is how much of my calf I have. So my entire leg from my hip all the way down was a blood clot. And, the, and there was no blood getting through. So what happened was my prosthetic over time had been pushing in behind my knee. And I thought at times it would bruise my calf. Like at times my calf would be sore, but really what it was doing was bruising my artery. And eventually the artery gave up. And that's the main artery of your leg. Uh, it was my popliteal and femoral artery. And so I suddenly um, was fighting for my leg. And I've been fighting to walk for the last two years. I went through 10 surgeries to save my left leg. A few of the surgeries was like clearing out that blood clot, then trying to repair the artery. But then every time you do something like that to an artery, it wants to close because an artery's way of healing itself is putting up a roadblock. It never goes back to how it was. Like once it's injured, it's this constant thing where it constantly wants to close. 
And so for the last two years, we were battling that, like we would get good blood flow and then all of a sudden parts of my artery would close and I'd have to go in for another surgery and we'd open it up and things would be fine. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, it would close again. It's been incredibly challenging. One of the biggest journeys of my life, nothing could have ever prepared me for it. And I think ultimately I've handled things very well, but I will definitely say I've had very hard moments where I was so depressed and so anxious to go from, you know, it's like, I, I feel like I just figured out snowboarding. Like I just figured it out in the games. I was like, I got it. It's there. And then bam, knocked off my feet. Haven't been able to snowboard since. And so it's been a journey in a whole different way. And there's been blessings and miracles and amazing moments throughout it as well. And it's allowed me to connect with my audience in a way that I never have before. Instead of like standing on podiums, it's like going through the valleys of despair and like finding your way out and, and having these real realizations of what's really important in life and how do we get through challenge. And, and I, I've decided to share the journey along the way Whereas before, you know, when I went through everything 20 years ago, there wasn't social media. Nobody was really a part of the ups and the downs. They just saw the ups, right? They just know about you when you're actually winning medals and stuff. And so this journey has been quite different. I've wanted to share the ups and the downs and the journey. And it's allowed me to connect with my audience that much more too, because that's the one thing we all have in common is that we're all going to face challenge and we're all trying to figure out our way through it to live our best lives. And this experience has allowed me to figure that out for myself or continue to figure it out for myself and then be able to share that with my audience as well. And really, that's why I decided to start uh, my podcast, Bouncing Forward, because I, I wanted to share the journey and all of the things that I was learning along the way. I love it so much. And you really have been such, I mean, you were inspiration, obviously, before, but but when you get to see somebody walking through such a difficult challenge and they're they're just putting it out there like you are and as you're actively walking through it and you're showing us how to handle that how you've done it before and you're going to do it again and i i have to tell you i see your post and uh i feel like sometimes i grieve with you and i celebrate with you and i i feel all those things and i can't understand exactly what you're going through but i can relate with what i've been through or what i'm going through and there's still that connection there and i i love that and i really i'm so grateful that you are putting it out there because i think you're impacting i mean i'm sure you hear from people all the time that there's so many thousands and thousands of people that are being impacted by you that you'll probably never hear from um, but I think it's just really important um, and awesome that you're doing that. And uh, you did post something that you were starting to walk again the other day. <laughs> yes. So I, you know, I knock on wood because every moment that I thought I was like getting somewhere, I'd have a setback. But yes, I think I'm now in phase two of this journey, which uh, the first phase was really just fighting to save my leg. And something that happened about a month ago, which is actually, it was, the worst case scenario, and it happened, but in a way it ended up maybe being the best thing that could have happened. So all along we were fighting to keep this artery open. And I went into a surgery about a month and a half ago and my doctor put in some stents in my thigh because he's like, you know, just forcing this thing to stay open. And the surgery actually failed. It took my entire artery with it. 
So everything that I fought for, for the last two years is now done. The arteries completely collapsed, zero blood's getting through. And it was devastating because I thought I'm just back to square one. And am I going to lose my leg? And now the inevitable just happened. We've been fighting to try to keep it open and then it just happened. So what was this whole fight for over the last two years? At least that's how it felt at the beginning, but then something amazing happened. So you have one more artery, which comes off of your hip and feeds your upper thigh. That artery kicked in, grew three times its normal size, like overnight, started branching little arteries off like branches of a tree below the knee and is fully feeding blood to my leg. That is a healthy artery. That's an artery that was never injured. So, you know, there's just these beautiful miracles that happen along the way that I once again, like going back to when I was 19 and lost my legs, like that you have to be appreciative. You have to appreciate your body and appreciate the miracles and appreciate the little things that come along the way. So a month and a half ago, I thought I was losing it all. And then all of a sudden, a few weeks later, I was standing in prosthetics, taking my first steps because this artery is working really well and it's doing a great job. And now I kind of don't have to worry about the other one. It's closed. It's done. That like that chapter's over and a new chapter is opened up. You know, this is its own journey. Like this phase two, just getting prosthetics made that fit right. I mean, just that alone, even if your leg is perfectly healthy. I mean, 20 years ago when I lost my legs, it, it took years to get my prosthetics right and to get them good enough to snowboard in and walk in. And so now I'm starting that journey again, where it's just trying to get my legs to fit right. You know, still dealing with a little bit, this leg's not a hundred percent. So kind of dealing with that as well, but very grateful for every like baby step that I take. And I can't compare myself to who I was, you know, I'm a different person now. Like not only has all these surgeries and challenge changed me over the last two years, but COVID, you know, that happened over the last year and we we've all come out changed and you think, gosh, you just want things to go back how they were. But by the time you kind of get there, by the time you get through it, you're like, oh, I'm a different person now. I, I actually have different dreams and goals. And I've learned so much about myself that, you just continue to look forward and take baby steps forward and, and see where it takes you. So, you know, I'm, I, and, and I look back and I'm incredibly grateful. At first, I was very sad to see how I was on podiums and medals and, you know, at my peak of health and fitness. At first, I couldn't even look at pictures because I felt like that had been taken away from me. And now I look back and am incredibly proud of those moments and appreciate those as, you know, that was an era of my life. And we all go through these different eras. You don't stay in the same state and season all the time. And so I can appreciate where I was and and now appreciate where I'm at. I love that. Well, Amy, thank you so much for spending so much time with us and, and being honest and vulnerable and just showing us what we're all capable of, you know, that nothing can really stop us. If we truly want to do something, there is a way we can find a way. Um, Where can we connect with you online? Um, Listen to your podcast, grab a copy of your book on my own two feet, all the things. 
<laughs> yes. So uh, you can find me on Instagram. I feel like that's where I'm most connected with my audience. And, but also my podcast bouncing forward, I'm thoroughly, you know, just enjoying my journey, but also sharing other stories of resilience. I can't wait to have you on the podcast <laughs> as well. <laughs> and so that'd be great. Yeah. I would love if you, if you hear this, um, come say hi. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking us on your journey, bouncing forward and for spending all your time here with us today. Thank you. Yes. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And please be sure to subscribe, rate and review our show. This allows us to keep bringing on amazing guests and it also helps other athletes to find this show. Make sure to check out the show notes to follow us on social media and learn more about our awesome guest. To hear all of our amazing episodes, head on over to thepursuitofgold.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Pursuit of Gold is proud to be a Podigy production. That's all for now. Make sure to tune back in next week.